today I will be looking at the scriptures of Acts 16 verses 22 to 30 and I'll be reading from the Amplified Version um, and I will only be reading certain verses because I want to look at it in quite some detail. Uh, this is the section where Paul and Silas are imprisoned and the title of my message this morning is Rise Up and Stand. So I am reading from Acts 16 starting at verse 22. The crowd also joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and ordered that Paul and Silas be beaten with rods. After striking them many times with rods, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. He, having received such a strict command, threw them into the inner prison dungeon and fastened their feet in the stocks in an agonizing position. Paul and Silas were stripped beaten, put in an inner cell, a prison in a prison, and their feet put in stocks. They weren't going anywhere. They were sore, bloodied, they ached. They were probably cold, hungry, thirsty and tired. They were totally confined, physically unable to move. In the dark, with other prisoners possibly walking over them or even on them and around them. They were in strange surroundings with people they didn't know in an environment and a prison culture that had its own rules. Perhaps they were even feeling that it could be the end of their ministries or even the end of their lives. The future was uncertain. This last year, we've been in a strange environment with its own rules. The future is uncertain for us too, in many ways. We may be feeling emotionally stripped and beaten. We may be feeling imprisoned and confined, suffering from our loss of physical freedoms, isolation, or grieving from the loss of a loved one. We may be feeling chained down by our financial situation. Often these weights cause us to keep our heads down, focus on what's just in front of us and concentrate on survival. How do we rise up and stand in these circumstances? How do we change from survival to revival? Well, let's look at how Paul and Silas did that. Verse 25, it says, but about midnight, when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Midnight is a significant time in the Bible. It separates light from darkness, blessing from judgment, life from death. It's the hour of choosing between the two a significant turning point of taking action at that moment. In Exodus 12, 29, at midnight, the Lord strikes dead every firstborn Egyptian male. 
in 1 Kings 3, we hear the story of a woman accusing another of swapping their babies at midnight because one has died and the other is alive. But also at midnight, Ruth in 3, 8, Boaz awakens to find Ruth at his feet, his future wife. And the psalmist in 119 verse 62 says, at midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you. That's the Lord. And in Judges 16.3, at midnight, Samson escapes from the Gazites by pulling up their city gates and doorposts. So at midnight, Paul and Silas chose to rise up above their circumstances and trust in God. They chose life and light, and because of that, they received blessing. Micah 7.8 says, Do not rejoice over me amid my tragedies, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I sit in the darkness of distress, the Lord is a light for me. Psalm 20 verses 7 and 8 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember and trust in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. The point, the first point I want to make is to rise up. You first have to be broken or bowed down. You have to be prostrate or kneeling before God in a position of humility, acknowledging that we are not in control of our own destiny, acknowledging that we need saving, restoring, healing, and wholeness, and only Jesus can do that for us. My second point here is that it's a choice. This year has been a midnight hour for many people. Do we trust that God loves us and wants the best for us? Do we trust that he knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us? Can we see that God is using our present circumstances to grow us spiritually? God gives us the choice to see it, either as confinement or refinement. The third point is that Paul and Silas, although they couldn't physically stand, they stood together, united, supporting each other. Paul didn't say, I'll sing and you pray. Silas didn't say, it's my job to worship God and you do the rest. They both prayed and both sang hymns of worship to God. The fourth point is that they were not afraid to stand for their faith, demonstrating their beliefs despite their circumstances 
and even the reaction that they may have got from the other prisoners. And a fifth point is that they believed and trusted that God had stood them in their current situation for a purpose. They were positioned, ready, and received a blessing because of that. And when you stand like this, you get noticed because the rest of verse 25 says, and the prisoners were listen, listening to them. I don't know about you, but I'm usually asleep at midnight. If someone started to sing, I'd be a bit annoyed. Why didn't the prisoners tell them to be quiet or make fun of them, catcalling them or throwing things at them? <laughs> well, in the film, The Shawshank Redemption, if you've seen it, Andy Dufresne, a prisoner, receives a delivery in the warden's office of books and vinyl records for the library that he's trying to build. On impulse, he locks the doors to prevent the guards reaching him, and he picks out a record which he then plays and puts out over the loud speaker system of the prison. And it enables everyone to hear the music. All the prisoners stop what they're doing to listen because the sound is out of the ordinary. It's beautiful, heavenly even, and for that moment, it has the ability to lift them above their circumstances. I would like to think that Paul and Silas's worship had the same effect on the prisoners they were with. It was extraordinary, unusual, and heavenly. Again, it lifted them up out of their circumstances. Paul and Silas don't have any keys to the prison, but they do have keys to the kingdom of heaven. Through their prayer, praise and standing together, heavenly power was released onto earth because at verse 26 we read, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so powerful that the very foundations of the prison were shaken. The dictionary definition of foundations is an underlying basis of a principle from which justification or reason comes. You know, often in life, we fix our own foundations, our own limitations, our own chains and prisons, if you like, by our beliefs, by what others have said about us, or by what has been done to us. And God has to shake these, sometimes in a dramatic way, to demonstrate to us that they are lies of the, from the enemy. For we know that with God, all things are possible. As we grow in our Christian faith, there should be evidence of our transformation as we come in line with God's word. There should be changes in our beliefs, our actions and behaviour as the fruit of the Holy Spirit empowers us. 
1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, So everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man, a far-sighted, practical and sensible man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods and torrents came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Back to Act 16 and verse 26. And at once all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now, if our foundations, principles, and reasoning are based on the word and not man, we can expect doors to open and chains to fall. Verse 27 says, When the jailer, shaken out of his sleep, saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself thinking that the prisoners had escaped. The jailer up to this point, interestingly enough, has slept through Paul and Silas singing and praying and praising God. He believes he's in control of everything that happens in the prison. He believes he's in charge. He has the power and authority to rule that prison, only answerable to the magistrates. But he's actually asleep to the fact that he needs Jesus in his life. And it's only when his belief system has been shaken spiritually and physically through the earthquake that he wakes up to the fact that he may not be in charge because he believes the prisoners have escaped. He believes he has totally failed in his responsibilities. And he sees no hope for his situation and believes he has no option but to kill himself. Verse 28 says, but Paul shouted saying, do not hurt yourself, we are all here. I imagine that the prisoners at Shawshank would have taken the opportunity to escape if the doors opened and their chains fell off. But the prisoners with Paul and Silas didn't move. In Matthew 18.20, Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, meeting together as my followers, I am there among them. I believe the prisoners with Paul and Silas sensed the presence of Jesus, the presence of heaven itself. And they knew they had found something better than anything they could find out in the world. If they stayed in Jesus' presence, they had freedom beyond their chains and the prison walls. 
verse 29, then the jailer called for torches and rushed in. At this point, there is a glimmer of hope for the jailer, represented by the torches. He wants to find the source of that hope, that chance of starting again, of restoration for his life. And I continue with the verse, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. The jailer recognises at this point that there is a greater power at work in Paul and Silas. He comes to them in fear and reverence for their apparent ability of keeping the prisoners from escaping. But he's failed to recognise that in his own way, he's just as much a prisoner. I wonder how often do those around us, friends, neighbours, work colleagues and family appear to be coping and in control. They don't appear to need help from anyone, but inside, like the jailer, they may have little hope. It could only take an earthquake, flood or strong winds to knock them down. How can we stay silent knowing we have the answer in Jesus? Verse 30, and after he brought them out of the inner prison, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer had to invite Paul and Silas out, as we have to invite Jesus into our lives. The jailer recognised there was an alternative to dying. He could be saved by believing in Jesus and wanted to know what he must do. We have to be obedient to God too, so that we can share in his blessings. And if you continue to read that passage, Paul and Silas are blessed. They have the opportunity to share the gospel with the jailer, to see him saved and baptised and his household saved. His transformation is immediately apparent as he rejoices greatly and he washes their wounds, takes them into his home and feeds them. Last Sunday, we celebrated Easter, the greatest miracle ever, when Jesus rose up from the death. He defeated sin and he stood amongst his disciples, supporting, encouraging, teaching, healing their doubt and denial and loving them for who they were. And next Sunday, we will be rising up again as a church by physically meeting together it may be a different building. There may be different people at the front leading. There may be a different normal to church. But we still have the same God, the same Holy Spirit, and the same Jesus with us. We can be a church 
that is not about survival, but revival. We can be a church who see ourselves not as confined, but refined. We can be a church that stands united, supporting each other in practical ways, sharing what needs to be done. We can stand together in our faith, sharing it with others, and through our love for Jesus, we can help our surrounding community. And as a church, we need to trust and believe that God has positioned us, stood us where we are for his particular plans and purposes. My prayer for us is that we will know and understand that we hold the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that we know and understand the power and authority that we've been given and can operate in. And I pray that we as a church will remain in him and remain obedient to him to see those plans and purposes come to fruition and to receive his blessings in them. Amen and God bless you all.